here through RCIA. Woo! Whoa. So you guys probably came here hoping to see Bernadette. You know, <laughs> friend. So uh, Bernadette is in charge of RCIA, and she has a lot of uh, experience, obviously, explaining the faith to people, right? So in order, I didn't want to take her topic exactly so that she has an opportunity to come back. But I do want to bring in the topic of apologetics into focus, so to speak. And the focus that I was thinking was specifically the focus of the church. Yeah. So what I'd like to talk about is what are typical objections that people present, honest objections people have to the idea of the church, to the reality of the church, and then do a deep dive into uh, that passage where Jesus gives Peter the keys kind of an interpretation of that and like a full picture understanding of that and then have some table discussion around how would we answer uh, a friend or how would we explain some of these truths to someone that perhaps has questions about the church. Okay? So far so good? Excellent. So let's start with uh, let's start with this thing working. Okay. It was working just a second ago, right? Okay. Space bar. Anyway. Okay. So, the church is a mystery, a reflection on Matthew 16, and then the images of the church. So the first thing I want to ask you all is, in speaking with friends, what are the main objections that people have to the church? Or, if you are a convert to Catholicism, what were some objections that you had in your mind to the church? Uh, corruption. So, okay, corruption. Uh, most of the people I spoke with just found that they assumed that the church started in like, the 300s is a government one. Government one organization, okay. Yeah. It wasn't a Okay, so the church kind of as a as a political thing. Okay. What other objections are there to the idea of the church being compatible with the 21st century? Okay, so like it's not up to date anymore. Is that what you mean? Yeah, but how, how, how culturally, culturally, it's like not in sync with the secular world. Okay, and you had something. Like it's too formal. Okay. And the Church of Christ should be more accessible, more down to earth. Okay. What other objections are there to the church? Too many rules. Too many rules? <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay, what else? Infallibility. Infallibility. Actually being able to say something is right or wrong. Okay. What other objections are there to the church? That it's super judgmental. Very judgmental. Mm. Okay. What else? Right, so kind of a claim that this is the 
Eucharist, not church as a whole? We'll put that on the on the bonus questions. Vincent <laughs> <laughs> it always friends when Homer decides to become Catholic. Yeah. And uh, he has like written on his sleeve transubstantiation. <laughs> yeah. There's no clear evidence to show that there's any real basis for the church as a hierarchical and I guess if you want to say bureaucratic system. Right? So why hierarchy? Uh, why hierarchy? And also, you can't really show what you claim, which is that that this comes from Christ and the earliest and the first apostles. <laughs> okay, great. We have ten. Any more? Yeah. Uh, if there is a God, then he can just reveal himself and make everything happy. Okay, that's not so. So that's like another bonus question. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So another bonus question is, why is God so hard to see? Yeah. Okay, anything else? Yeah. So I have corruption would be number one. But I guess also, like, the imperfection of, not necessarily corruption, but just laissez representatives within the church.
because this text has a lot more than simply face value. Jesus calls Peter the rock and builds a church on you. Okay? So first of all, where is Caesarea Philippi? Caesarea Philippi is all the way over here. It's actually outside of the map.
Alright, so far so good? Alright. There's a picture of it. The cave is in here. This is all the water that's flowing here. It flows around this way and comes down. He said to them, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him, Jesus said to him, Reply, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. Okay. Something else that's very interesting about Matthew 16. What day of the year was this? We actually know from the Gospels. We can all, there are several signs that point to what day this is. So seven days after this is the transfiguration of Jesus. Okay. The transfiguration of Jesus, who remembers elements of that scene? Moses and Elijah. What does Peter say? Peter says, let's stay here and build three tabernacles, three tents. Yeah? One of you is engaged to a former Jewish person. So what do you know about the Feast of Tabernacles, Rachel? That's a great question, Father James. Uh, <laughs> not much. Not too much. Okay, fair enough. You'll, you'll, you'll know more about the next question. So the so feast of tabernacles, or the feast of booths, is eight days after a very important Jewish holiday. Okay, we could nerd out on the feast of booths, but I want to get to the point. Feast of booths, we can talk about it later. It's not that important. Eight days before the Feast of Booths is Matthew 16. And eight days before the Feast of Booths is the Feast of Day of Atonement, Day of Atonement also known as Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. And what happens on the Feast of Yom Kippur? Who knows? All sins are forgiven. Sorry. All yeah. sins are forgiven. All sins are forgiven. You have to go to a body of water and like sprinkle bread into the body of water. Like it's the seven by seven times. You have to Okay. Actually, I didn't know about the body of water. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. And you put bread in the body of water? Yeah, it's, it's just it's <laughs> like symbolize you're giving your sins back to God. Yep. So it's the day that sins are forgiven. It's the day that sins are... And then when the temple was still around, what happened in the temple on this day? Who knows? This is going to blow your minds. <laughs> On the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, once per year, several things happen all in the temple. The high priest, and only the high priest, would enter into the Holy of Holies. And he could speak one word that you could only speak, that only the high priest could speak in the Holy of Holies that day once. Mind you, we had a word that you could only say once per year, and only one person could say it. And that word is obviously Yahweh. The name of God. Mm-hmm. Every other time when you read Yahweh in the Bible and you're Jewish, you read Adonai. Adonai, the Lord. And if you have any Jewish friends and they write the name God, what do they write? They write G D. Because you're not allowed to say God's personal name. You can say the word, you can say the concept God. You can say Elohim. But you can never use his personal name. You can never say Job. Okay? You can never say Yahweh, which is his name, except the high priest. 
On this day, he says the name of God. Second thing that happens is the high priest goes to the temple. What is the so the temple became a church and then became a mosque, right? Do you guys know the name of that mosque? Yes. It's called the the Dome of the Rock. Anyone know why it's called the Dome of the Rock? It's called the Dome of the Rock, not because it has a huge dome, <laughs> not because the place rocks, but because it's built on this rock. If you don't believe me, ask Google. Inside the Dome of the Rock, there's nothing short of an immense rock laid bare for all people to see. And what happened on that rock 2,000 years before Christ? Yes. Yes. Abraham came to this rock and was about to sacrifice Isaac. And his hand was stopped. That's what happened 2,000 years before Christ. According to Jewish (coughs) tradition and like cosmology, this rock is also the center of the universe. And this is a place where Adam and Eve were created. Which, obviously, it's not meant to be taken literally, but it's meant to be taken figuratively as Jerusalem is the center of the world, and this rock is the center of Jerusalem. Yeah? So the center of the world is this rock. It's also the place where Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac, historically. Alright? And on this rock, the high priest goes in once a year on the Feast of Yom Kippur, and he takes a sheep, and he takes a goat, or he takes two goats or two sheep, depending on the translation. And on one goat, he binds all the sins of Israel. And then he sacrifices the other sheep on the rock, or on the altar that's there, and then he loosens the sheep into the desert to let go of all the sins of Israel. Pretty cool, huh? Alright, now, put those ideas together on Matthew 16. Peter has just said to Jesus, so, so Jesus says to Peter, and so I say to you, Peter, you are Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly ordered his disciples to tell no one that he was the missing. Yes, we're beginning to connect the dots, right? It's, it's awesome. So, on the Feast of Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year for Jews, the only day when the high priest could say the name of God, Peter is speaking the name of Jesus. That's why I would never have a mega church, because the moment of greatest emotion. You are the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. Yeah. So the High Priest says the name of God. Our new High Priest is saying the name of Jesus. First. Secondly, 
place where Isaac was about to be sacrificed, Peter, you are that rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Which church is the temple in the same way that for us, church has many meanings. For the Jews, the temple is the temple, but also it's like the presence of God that spills over into the rest of Israel. And on the one day when the sins of Israel are forgiven by the high priest, Jesus says to Peter, you will bind and loosen. You know, or you will you will loose on loose in heaven, you will bind, will be bound in heaven. Yeah. So this scene here, Jesus telling this to Peter, is not just like another parable, another episode, another symbolic thing. Jesus has uh, choreographed this moment minutely so as to transmit to the apostles the depth of what he's doing. Jesus knows exactly what they're interpreting. They're like, what is going on here on this rock? And Jesus, who's a poet and who always has better batteries, uh, Jesus, who's a poet, has chosen, by the way, this place to tell Peter all that stuff. If you notice, there's not just a bunch of water, there's also an immense rock that's like over the cave from which all this water is gushing out. Yeah, so, Pete, so Jesus is painting the picture for Peter. Peter, you are this rock. He's also referring to the rock in the temple. And he's saying, on a rock like this, I will build my church. And he's doing it at the place that's the source of life for all of Israel. Because what he's saying is, there is a new source of life, Peter. And that's my church. And I'm building on you. And the new life is not just physical life. The new life is the forgiveness of sins. That you're going to be able to give to the all of Israel. But not just all of Israel, but all of the new Israel. Which I have come to now. Yeah. He's also saying something really interesting, Jesus, to Peter. Because it's the place where Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac. Yeah. And by the way, this is just a little parenthesis. Do you remember what happens when Abraham's about to sacrifice Isaac? The angel stops his hand, right? And what happens? There is a lamb with its horns caught in the thorn bush. What happens on Good Friday? The Lamb of God with his head caught in It was really awesome, right? But no, this was all written. This was all made up, right? <laughs> so the uh, so Jesus is also saying to Peter, Peter, I am entrusting my sacrifice to you. Yeah, because he's he's saying, Peter, you're the new high priest, and you're in charge of sacrificing the lamb on the altar. But there is a new lamb. And they've all heard it. They all heard John the Baptist point to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're the lamb of God. This is the lamb of God. So Jesus, at that moment, is entrusting to Peter the holiest thing ever, which is his own sacrifice. 
That's what St. Paul says to churches. Right? St. Paul says that. So already we might be thinking the objection that the church has wrought, has tossed, has brokenness, kind of matches already the image that Christ gave us of the church. Yeah. We'll get to that in just a second, but it kind of helps to respond to that. Another image of the church, this is one of my favorites, the bride of Christ. Uh, so the church is the bride of Christ. What does this come out in Revelation? Yeah, in Revelation, at the end of Revelation, the last chapter of the last book, St. John has this vision, and he says, and all of a sudden, I saw a new heaven and new earth. The former heaven and the former earth had passed away. The sea was no more. So it's like the end of everything. And a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her. Now, one of the things I like about being a priest is I get to go to a lot of weddings. Not always wedding parties, but a lot of weddings. <laughs> <laughs> so, and there's not, I mean, if you've never been to a wedding, if you've all been to a wedding, the moment when, like, sometimes everyone has to turn around, right? The room has to turn around. The doors are closed. The bride, no one's seen the bride the whole morning, right? Where there's the group has to be the bride. She's kind of hiding in the back. She appears behind the doors. The doors open up, and you see the everyone stands up. The music changes. The groom's knees begin to shake. You know, he starts getting teary-eyed. And all of a sudden, the bride starts walking down the church. It's beautiful. Totally beautiful. It's like a magical, mystical moment. Yeah? It's the most beautiful thing that's out there. That's what St. John is using to describe the church. At that moment in which the bride begins to come down the aisle, which tells us something about the church, which is really important as well, which is how much Christ loves the church. How much he loves the church. How infatuated he is. To, you know, I mean, it's the wrong term, but you know what I mean, right? Like, love how passionate he is about the church. How he views the church, how he sees the, beauty, the virtues of the church, the gifts of the church. How faithful he is to the church. She loves the church. How he was one with the church, right? In Genesis it says, uh, husband leaves for this reason, the husband leaves his father and mother, and they, they become one flesh. So, how much more Christ and his church are one? Another image for the church is the people of God. Um, and then here, there's like three different images. One is the temple. So, St. Peter specifically. St. Peter, who was called the rock, he actually tells Christians, hey, you guys are rocks too. Yeah? And actually, Jesus is the original rock. And I'm the rock. You can tell Peter didn't feel comfortable being referred to as the rock. <laughs> so, he's always saying, like, oh, you're a rock too, right? <laughs> uh, and so, he's the one that develops the theme in his letter of us all together being stones put together around the capstone and building up the new temple. So that's interesting too because if you, if you're not, are there any architects here or builders? No. Well, you know, it requires
required in a certain order, right? You can't just throw the pieces together and hope that it ends up looking good. You need a foundation, you need supports, you need columns, you need everything else. Yeah. You need a structure for the temple to look like a temple. Yeah. Uh, what else? Also, by the way, the temple is the holiest thing in Israel. And so the new temple is like the place where God inhabits. Also, the sheepfold, you can see the sheepfold here. Actually, I did not know this until I did this presentation. But the sheepfold is a big circle of rocks with a little entryway. And the shepherd would actually sleep here at the entrance. Yeah, which is really cool. Like, the shepherd places himself at the entrance. So that's why when Jesus says, I am the sheep gate, that's all he means. It's like, I'm standing there at the entrance. Right? Which is really neat because... Jesus refers to us as a sheepfold. He refers to us as sheep himself there. So I guess what this adds to the notion of church is that Christ is the entry point. Yeah, so when we're baptized into Christ, it's not just a ceremony, but we actually do what Jesus did. We die with Christ so that we can rise with Christ. We enter through Jesus mystically, uh, sacramentally. And then finally, uh, a green uh, field. Jesus describes the church often as a field. And what's interesting about a field is that a field contains all types of things, right? Jesus even says, the enemy came and planted weeds and tares in the field. Lord, what are we going to do? And Jesus says, well, let it grow so we can see the difference, lest you end up cutting some of the grain. Also, the, the field is a place where many things are planted over and over again. And so it's a place of life, it's a place of death and life. The seed has to rot so that the rain can grow. And that's why the church is this continual cycle of death and rebirth, death and rebirth. Death. Yeah. Right, so that's the presentation I had. Um, what I thought we could do is maybe three minutes of open comments, if anyone has open comments. And then by table, I'm going to read these again. And you guys get to brainstorm, and then we're going to share. You guys get to brainstorm. How would we answer some of these objections with an enriched vision of the church based on scripture? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. But first, any comments or questions on the presentation? I know there's a lot, right? There's a lot of content. <laughs>
Okay. And he says, oh, by the way, Peter, I have something to tell you. Okay. Also, Jesus is the one that initiates the conversation. Like, he wants to get Peter to say that. Mm-hmm. So that's the connection. So like, also, by the way, after this, after Matthew 16, Jesus goes straight down to Jerusalem to die. So this is the last thing Jesus does in his ministry before going to the before Holy Week. Well, he goes to the Transfiguration further south, and then he goes to Jericho, and then he goes up to Jerusalem. So geographically, it's the inflection points in his ministry. Yeah. All right. I'm assuming you guys are going to do this by tables. <laughs>